will say it's just writing itself or a musician says like the music takes over or whatever and, and I think in the adventure sports we can say like yeah like the bike just feels like an extension of my legs sound familiar we've all been there before you're in the zone or the flow as we're calling it today how do we get there how do we find the flow this is mountain meister Hi there, welcome to Mountain Meister. It's the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. And on the other end, we're exploring the mind of Luke Mel. Hello, Luke. Hello, thanks for having me. Absolutely. If you don't know Luke, he's an Alaskan adventurer who utilizes just about every means of human-powered transportation to get where he's going. Luke, if I had to organize them from the most normal to the least normal i would say hiking then running biking skiing swimming pack rafting and backcountry ice skating am i missing <laughs> any in that list i you know actually i'm not much of a hiker and i'm not much of a runner okay so if those are on there they better be at the bottom Okay, so so hiking and running are weird for you, uh, maybe not necessarily for other people. Then we'll we'll slide up backcountry ice skating up the list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Luke has completed traverses across North America's three highest peaks: Denali, Mount Logan, and Orizaba, and he's also competed in some brutal wilderness adventure races in Alaska. Uh, but before we talk about those, we've got to figure out how he got to where he is. Let's start with the childhood. Where did you grow up, Luke? I grew up in McGrath, which is in the interior northwest of Anchorage, a couple hundred miles. Interior northwest. And how big was your town? Uh, 500 when I was there. Okay, so that's pretty small. And were you adventuring throughout your whole childhood being in that part of Alaska? Uh, not at all, or at least really? not, not, no, not in the sports sense of the word. Um, I think that, that, uh, rural Alaska culture is very much into, um, sort of functional, mm -hmm. um, wilderness travel, like river boats and snow machines, but none of it is for recreation. You know, it's all for hunting or going up to a cabin. Huh. So when did you find that you enjoyed this for, maybe a more recreational purpose rather than functional. Does that sound proper? Yeah, exactly. Um, I came into Anchorage for high school, and so it was probably my sophomore, junior year that I started getting into the mountains. Um, McGrath also, it's not mountainous at all. It's just mm. swamp and um, thick forests. So that's part of why there probably isn't a lot of recreation there. Mm -hmm. And I read that you spent some time just across the river from me. I live in uh, in Boston, and you went to MIT in Cambridge. Yeah, I did a graduate degree at MIT, and it kind of blew my mind. I'd never been out east before, and yeah, it felt like a different, felt more like um, like Europe to me than another state. It took me a long time to get comfortable. What specifically blew your mind? Uh, well, I got honked at a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I drove my, uh, you know, my gutless '81 Chevy truck from from Alaska. I drove it out to Boston. Wow! And, uh, yeah, and I, you know, had throttle issues and this and that. And I just, I couldn't go fast. And Boston drivers are so fast mm -hmm. and aggressive. And 
Yeah, I was actually really uncomfortable pretty much the whole time I was at East. <laughs> Did you do any human-powered transportation around Boston? That's the majority of the time I'm taking a, a bicycle or walking. I did bike. Yeah, I made okay. sure to to live places that I could bike to campus. Yeah, yeah. I think that that has made a huge difference for me living in a city, and I really, really like it um, because it just makes me feel so much more in control of timing and everything. I can, I know that I can get to places on time, even though I'm always like five to ten minutes late. So yeah, I did. I really enjoyed biking there. Cool. Actually, have a. <laughs> I don't know if you want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you this anyway because yeah. it's pretty awesome. These are always the best stories. This kind of sums up my entire Boston experience. Uh-huh. So I had a, a date. This is a – you probably don't want all this information. Okay, so – I do. I do. I 100% do, and I think the listeners do too. All right. So th- something that we might want to talk about later is this sort of like – it kind of it fits into this like risk-reward challenge skill space that I think a lot about. and. Mm-hmm. One of those, one of the zones in that space is where you're in the flow, or you're in the zone, or something. Mm-hmm. And I also think of it as being like um, glowing. Like for me, it's coming off a trip and feeling just like invincible, and I'm super patient with people, and I'm saying hi to people on in Boston the bus or here, you know, people on huh. the bike trail. So I'd come off a trip. I went to to Utah, I think, to go skiing, and I was back on the shuttle coming back from the airport, and I'm in this sort of, like, invincible glowing phase and uh, harassing this little uh, kid and his mom who were on the bus sitting across from us. I had a bike box with me, and I was making him guess what was in it, and he was guessing things like roller skates, and I was just like, oh, this poor this poor city kid. Somebody's <laughs> got to clue him in. You know, it's a, it's a huge, it's a bike box. So anyway, I'm just doing this and, and part of I think be, being in this sort of really nice headspace um, eventually the mom is like or we end up going on a date later she's a single mom and so and I'm generally not very comfortable around women so this is kind of a big deal so then I think okay what do you do for a date well in Alaska that means you're going for a hike like pretty much across the board date equals hike <laughs> And so I think, where can I go for a hike in Boston? And, and the only place I'd been in Boston that, that that I did feel very comfortable was in the Arboretum, which is awesome. Uh-huh. I really like the Arboretum there. And then I tell my office mate this the day of, um, and he is telling me, oh, I got a date with this this really cute nurse, and uh, and he says, oh, you're you're gonna you're gonna change a, your shirt, right? You're gonna wear a different shirt. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm totally not. I'm totally planning to go straight from the office to our date in the Arboretum. But so I tell, oh yeah, of course, yeah, I wouldn't wear this shirt. I'm gonna go home and change my shirt. So and then he says, uh, and you're gonna shave too, right? <laughs> like, oh, of course, yeah, I wouldn't go on a date without shaving. And he asked me how I'm gonna get there, and my plan to get there is to ride my BMX bike, which is um, a bike that I bought off a high school football player there in Boston. And he just like shakes his head. It's like this is a really bad idea, and you have you got to take the tea. If you show up on a BMX bike, she's just gonna think you're a freak. And so, okay, so I gotta like race home and shower and shave and try to catch the tea. And I run out of time. I'm not gonna catch the tea, so I take my BMX bike and crank out to to the Arboretum and meet her there. And it's and it's dark. That's the other thing I didn't really think of. Is that yeah, it must have been winter there, and it gets dark so early. Um, 
So I show up on my BMX bike and she's like super uncomfortable and she keeps saying these things like, oh, my friends would kill me if they knew I was out oh, here with yeah. some guy I'd never met before or just on the bus. And I just didn't get it. And eventually we had to stop and I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, why are you uncomfortable? And she's talking about like me, like killing her and leaving her in the woods, which I guess is, you know, probably a, a reasonable urban reaction if it's dark and in your woods. And I'm just coming from such a different place and this is miserable oh <laughs> and this would have been completely normal in alaska yeah it would have been very uh-huh. normal and instead i like emptied my backpack and i showed her like all i had were some dried <laughs> apricots and my little like blinky red light and i offered her the blinky blinky red light if she wanted to like turn it on if she got uncomfortable <laughs> so needless to say you didn't see this this lady again I actually, we actually did have a second oh, date nice. and, uh, yeah she was awesome um, cool but it, but I did pretty much everything wrong. And then when I went back to the to the office and told Brian, my office mate, you know, like how could you how could you tell me to or how could you you know know that I needed to change my shirt and shave and all that and not clue me in that that going to the arboretum in the dark was a bad first date? He just sort of you know hit his forehead or something. It's like oh my god, that was just so far off the radar that you would even consider that. Yeah, I wonder if uh, you had the same conversation to somebody who just moved to Alaska about their uh a, a city boy trying to take a girl on a date there that would be kind of a <laughs> it, funny contrast it probably would be really similar yeah or a city girl trying to take me out yeah. <laughs> right yeah do you want to go out for a nice seafood dinner <laughs> yeah i'd be super uncomfortable <laughs> right. funny yeah. okay enough of the city back to the wilderness uh what inspires your adventures a lot of people have different reasons i'm curious what yours are what what makes you do the things that you do i think Probably the the root of it is that I'm just a very visual person, and um, I love these raw landscapes, wilderness landscapes, which is what so much of Alaska is. So I think from from the get go, it's it's been about just going these, to these beautiful places and experiencing them. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the the rush of the sport. Uh, you know, I like going fast on a bike or going through rapids in a boat. Um, but I think even that is secondary to just wanting to take in uh, incredible landscapes. Hmm. On the brush, sometimes we hear that people are addicted to it. Do you find yourself addicted to these trips? Do you need this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, I physically need exercise. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't always need to be in the wilderness. But, I, um, yeah, they're, they're, they've been sort of the defining trips you know, of, of my my life and how I'm kind of structuring my life to let me do these like a big trip for a month, a year. And I, I often use that, um, the, the planning for that to sort of get me through the winter when things are dark and cold and depressing. Mm. Um, or if I'm at a tough, tough job or something. So I think in that sense, it's kind of an, uh, an addiction. It's sort of a, a release, some, something to get me through. Yeah. And does that change based on the length of the trip and, and how, I think um, on shorter trips, I'm mostly out to get into this sort of zone or flow. And that can happen in like 10 minutes on a bike where I just wow. feel like I like um, that I have such great control of the bike and I'm getting air where I want to and landing well. And, and that's super rewarding. It just makes me feel awesome. And I can get it on skis. I can get it um, in a boat. Um but then that's sort of the fleeting 
you know, feels great. And then half an hour later, I'm, I'm back at work, or back at home or whatever. And that's pretty different than these longer trips, um, whether they're four or five days like these, these wilderness classics or month long, like the spring trips that I've been doing the last five years. Yeah. Um, and those rewards are more about like than a major accomplishment. Like we'll go a couple hundred miles and that's really about looking at the map and being like, wow, we just covered a couple hundred miles. Um, so there aren't quite the, the highs that I get from, from a quick hit to, to go skiing or, or biking. You're listening to Mountain Meister, and this is our conversation with Luke Mel, Alaskan Adventure. You can find the whole episode on our website on Luke's Meister profile page. Also have a link, some quotes, and more. If you want to hear more Mountain Meister, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, and your phone will automatically have the newest episode for you for free when it's released. And if you're a Mountain Meister maniac, you can go to our support page on our website. We have options for extra content. You can get extras from the episode. You can buy a shout-out. That's available for purchase, and you help support your favorite podcast. Now, in this next part of the interview, Luke and I talked about a concept called flow. It was created by a psychologist, Mahali Mihai. Don't worry, we had a lot of trouble with the name at first. The psychologist, uh, how do you pronounce that name? I don't, don't ask me. <laughs> I'm going to go with Sisensmali. <laughs> <laughs> I was told uh, the gal that pointed him out to me said something like, Cheek sent me high. Okay, that looks way better. Yes, Cheek sent me high. Luke got it right. Now, we're going to have a picture of this on Luke's Meister profile page. But if you can't get there, maybe you're driving or you're running, here's what it looks like. It's a graph, and on the vertical axis is your challenge level from low to high. So low would be something that doesn't challenge you. High would be something that's a great challenge. Then on the other axis is your skill level. Low skill level meaning you're not very good at it. High meaning you're very good at it. At the intersection of high challenge and high skill is this concept of flow. So he basically studies across the board, like you know, athletes, artists, professionals, parents, whatever, and kind of found this this common theme that that for all those people, there's this high skill, high challenge space that everybody gets into that he calls the flow, but that in I think in the adventure sports that we call like in the zone. I think it's this really cool idea because uh, I think you can draw parallels between artists and musicians and how they get in a place where the you know a writer will say it's just writing itself or a musician says like the music takes over or whatever and and i think in the adventure sports we can say like yeah like the bike just feels like an extension of my legs yeah. and i don't have to think about every little manipulation that i'm making huh. how often do you feel that um well on a bike i feel it pretty often but it it depends. And, and for a while, like when I was in grad school, I could, you know, it'd be like once every two or three weeks or something. It was a lot less. And, and I started sort of identifying those moments of, of being in the flow field and, and seeking them out, really wanting them. And I got some academically too, like every once in a while, things would just feel incredible on my research or whatever. It felt so good that it 
if I was trying to make a, a life decision, like should I stay in grad school or should I pursue academia, I would evaluate, is that going to put me on a path that gets me to a lot of these flow spots? Mm. Like I want to be in that flow zone as frequently as possible. Yeah. This is something that all of us can really relate to. Uh, I know I can relate to it at some times, like podcast flow. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I think everybody can relate to it. Definitely. So I guess if somebody's not finding the flow or if you're in a rut without flow, yeah. how do you find it? How do you get it back? Yeah, uh, good question. And I think I think this can fit into that Cheeks and Mihai's uh-huh. uh, challenge skill space as well because you can put learning paths on there. Mm. You can either move down the skill axis, mm. uh, a- axis and um, build your skill set and then apply that to harder challenges. So I, I think that's kind of maybe a traditional sort of academic learning path where it's like take this semester of math and then you can apply that math to your chemistry problem set or something like that. And then and this is sort of a stepwise path, like increase skill, bump up challenge, increase skill, bump up challenge. But you can also get to the same point by just bumping up the challenge and then hoping or waiting or forcing your skill to step up to match it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's more applicable to the mountain sports, at least the, the way that I learned, like the guys that taught me how to ski, basically like put me in way over my head on slopes that I shouldn't be on. So I'm at high challenge. I don't have the skill to match it, but by the time I run through two or three of those, you know, the skill set does step up. And so you can keep doing that, pushing yourself with the challenge and and forcing the skills to match. Yeah. That sounds like it could be dangerous. Yeah. And so there's something that's missing in his space. Uh, This challenge skill space is is risk. Uh, And I don't know if he has talked about reward specifically either, but I feel like there's there's kind of needs to be two more axes on there, the risk and reward. Um, but flow definitely, I think people can relate to when you're in the zone, when you're in the podcast zone, and um, there is something very rewarding about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think if it, during an interview, if I can tweak my, well, I definitely can't tweak my skill mid-interview, but my challenge right. may be asking just like incredibly difficult questions. I guess that would be your challenge, though, too. Yeah, but so there must be there's a, a time component on here too. I'm sure that you you feel that your first couple podcasts compared to where you're at now, as far as being comfortable, making me comfortable, uh-huh. and directing the conversation somewhere that's that's going to be of most interest to to your listeners. Like that takes time, right? Yeah. And I, uh, God, the earlier interviews just make me cringe, to be completely yeah. honest. And the earlier days on skis make me cringe, yeah. right? You uh-huh. know, so it's, there, there's a huge parallel here. Yeah, definitely. You touched on it a little there. You said maybe risk and reward should be uh, other dimensions of this, of this graph. Like we have challenge, skill, risk and reward could be added in. And there are obvious risks to what you do. You had a, a friend, Rob Kerr who tragically passed away in one of the wilderness races. When something like that happens, does it affect the way that you view adventuring? And how does it, if it does? Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely affects it. And you know, it's interesting, I lost my, my grandpa last year too. And, and that 
barely affected me. Uh, and yet with Rob, it's like a daily, pretty much every day, really every day, um, something, some aspect of, of Rob or, or the risk or how he died that kind of pops up in my head still. And, and I'm sure that'll taper off with time, but I've been really surprised at how hard it hit me. Um, and it wasn't just Rob. I had, you know, um, for Rob was the close, the close friend, but, um, you know, there were, uh, within the, the same year, there were kind of four or five guys that I'd been in the mountains with that all died. Um, and before that I hadn't had any, so I've, I've been, I've only been doing sort of the serious mountain sports stuff for six or seven years. Um, and feeling pretty invincible up until last year when it was kind of hammered in over and over again. And I also got, I think maybe two years ago, I got buried in an avalanche and that was another eye opener in a, in a big way and has made me assess risk differently ever since I'm still not very comfortable on big slopes. Um, so all this stuff kind of punctuated with, with Rob's death sort of, you know, is it worth it? What are, what, what are we putting ourselves out there um, to this degree for? Like, do the rewards match the risk? Uh, and it's a big rat's nest in my brain, and I've spent a lot of time trying to like come out with the solution to that take home, and uh, and I can't really. So, uh, you know, the the hardest part for me about Rob's death is is his wife and his parents. Um, and his closest friends that, that have lost the sort of daily interaction with him. Um, so it's not that I feel so, so bad about him having died, but for more about the people mm-hmm. um, that got to experience, he was just this incredible positive personality. So for people like his wife that, that don't get to interact with him every day, like that is such a huge loss. But on the other side, I know how important this wilderness time was to him and 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 literally uh part of his wedding vows wow <laughs> yeah so um i can relate and i think that's also part of why he comes up daily in my mind is that we had that in common sort of needing this um wilderness time to to re just to ground i guess to reground ourselves um check in with with nature and get whooped a little bit and then you come back to town and kind of look at everything in a different light. You know, I think it's fine that he did the race and I think it's okay that he drowned. I, you know, I'm pissed about it, but uh, I think it was really important for him to do that. And I know it's really important for me to ski and bike and boat. I, I, if I don't do that, like when I was in Boston at MIT, um, I, it just ate me up. I just turned into somebody I didn't want to be. Uh, and so I guess that's part of it too, is identifying like who's the Rob that Rob needed to be. And that Rob, I think, needed to have wilderness time and not just on these these races, but you know, his cabin at the lake and his winter trips with his rugby buddies and and, and who's the Luke that I want to be. And, and that person also needs to get out a bunch, needs to play in the mountains and take in landscapes and share those experiences with my close friends. Mm-hmm. So hearing you talk about this, and I know you have over time scaled up the intensity of your, of your adventures. You didn't just start doing these month long trips. 
as time goes on and as you adapt to this new level of adventuring, it's almost like the the drug comparison. You need more in order to get that that same emotional high. Where's the limit? Um, well, the nice thing for me is that I found that limit. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you're, and you're sure about that because we've heard a lot of people say that. Yeah, I well, at least so far, you know, it's yeah. been a couple of years. Okay, um, all right. Part of it is physical that I'm slowing down. I'm 36 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this, on the trip that I was buried in that avalanche, uh, it was just a brutal trip. We we went. We uh, it was after we'd climbed Denali, and sort of, I was just I think messing around on the computer looking for what's what's the second tallest mountain in Alaska or in North America or something. And that's where Logan came up. And I hadn't looked at Mount Logan before, but um, it's the tallest in Canada, second tallest in North America. And because uh, we do all these trips as frugally as possible, the idea is to get there from the, ne- the nearest like commercial um, commercial town that we can fly to or, or place on the road system. But both of those are really far from Logan. So what we ended up doing was a, a 370 mile trip that's in 30 days. And it was totally self-supported carrying everything. And it just, it broke all of us. It was just so hard <laughs> and it was amazing. You know, it was beautiful and really glad we did it. Uh, very rewarding. When we think, talk about the risk and reward, very challenging, required a lot of skill, but a lot of stuff went wrong. I got buried in that avalanche. I got snow blind. I got hypothermia. Um, so it was uh, it was so hard and, and hugely rewarding, but I know that I don't need to go there again. That was that was as hard as I need a trip to be, and that's been um, great in a way to to know that because it's made it a lot easier to turn around now and to look at stuff and be like, boy, you know, I'm not, I'm just not feeling like getting on that slope or running that rapid. I don't, I, I kind of feel like uh, if I had been trying to prove something, I did prove it. So that's that's introduced some sort of freedom to me to to back off. It sounds relieving, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really nice to know that yeah. I don't need to step it up. I feel like I stepped it. Maybe I stepped it up prematurely, and maybe it was just crazy to try to do a trip that long um, without any food drops. Uh-huh. It definitely, yeah, I'm... I'm a big fan of the food drops now. Is there anybody else in your life besides me who you share this kind of stuff with, who you can like really talk about this and uh, and helps you think through this? Uh, I bounce a lot of stuff off my mom. She she uh, understands me really well, um, and the sort of the battles and how much I need to do this stuff, and and that there is a risk involved, and and I have uh, she's had a couple gems of insights for me. Um, one about I'll bring up because of the um, the time in Boston there at MIT. So I, I was in a PhD track there and left with a master's, and mostly just because I was unhappy living in Boston and was turning into this Luke that I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was probably a couple of years later in back home in Alaska when my mom said something like, uh, you know, if anything ever happened to you on these wilderness trips, I would just be so grateful that you got out of MIT. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know, which is totally opposite of what you might expect a parent that wants their son to be on this sort of right. prestigious academic path and a professor here or there some someday. So that's pretty cool. She got it. She knew like that that program was just not healthy for me. Uh, even though it was pretty amazing and a cool opportunity, like that wasn't where I needed to be. So yeah, she has awesome insight for me. Yeah, that's cool. Let's go to your gear recommendation. We try to get one from all the Meisters that come on the show. Uh, you do a lot of different things, Luke, so I, don't, I have no idea what you're going to pick here. But try to narrow it down to like one or two pieces of gear that you're ultra passionate about. Okay. Um, there are a couple tapes that I'm completely dependent on. And uh, so one of them is Luco Tape. Oh, same and- name. Yeah, similar name. Um, I think it's L-E-U-C-O. And it is, at least in my experience so far, the holy grail for blister care. You probably get a lot of blisters. I Well, I don't (laughs) because because I'm using using leukotape. (laughs) But it's incredible. It'll stay on for weeks. And then it's sort of sibling in my... I really love leukotape and I really love Tyvek tape, uh, maybe even more. Um, Tyvek is the the white house wrap you see it on construction sites. Oh, yeah. It's like a, uh-huh. a vapor barrier. And Tyvek tape is the tape they use to stitch the panels together. But it's uh, it's this incredible tape for patching any fabric. It can be like the stuff that most tapes don't stick to, like um, Silnile or Cuban fiber or something. But my, pretty much all of my clothes is covered with, um, with Tyvek tape and to the point where my friends will tease me and I had a friend build a, a bike frame bag out of Tyvek envelopes wow. from the, from the post office, the free ones, <laughs> just as a sort of uh, teasing me about how much I rely on Tyvek tape. And we use it to patch the pack rafts. Like it's all you need to patch these inflatable boats. Wow. So Luco and Tyvek, and I don't, I carry them, you know, all year round. That was, we've never had tape recommended. Good <laughs> I figured job. you hadn't. Yeah, I love when people come up with the unique uh, gear recommendations. I think part of it, too, is that I'm, I am so frugal on these trips, and I use gear until it's just barely holding together. Yeah. And so it's usually holding together because of Tyvek tape. And Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of these. These are hot items in my toolbox. Cool. Luco tape and Tyvek tape. On Luke's <laughs> Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. Uh, you can find out more about Luke at things to Luke at L-U-C at dot com. We have one last question for you, Luke, and that is who would you like to hear next on this show? Well, the, the first person that came to mind uh, that I think your listeners would really appreciate is Jim Harris. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Jim. Yeah. Yeah. So in Utah and um, professional photographer and great mountain athlete, we did our, or, that Orizaba, that bike mm-hmm. and pack rift trip together. And, and last, um, I think it was January, he was in a kiting accident and broke like eight vertebrae or 10, something, you know, devastating and has been learning to walk again, basically. Um, it's been interesting for me in this sort of risk reward space to, to, to watch his updates. Um, and, and he's incredibly positive 
but it, it has made me think a bit about you know what would it be like to to have to learn to walk again like in order to maintain um the positive attitude that he has been or at least that comes across on his posts and and i knowing jim a little bit i think that that is really who he is just a really positive person um i think that'd be a pretty pretty powerful story i think that would be too yeah would love to get him on we'll see if we can luke mel thanks for coming on thank you man Meister fans, hope you enjoyed episode number 143. That was Luke Mel, Alaskan adventurer. Check out Luke's Meister profile page for highlights of today's episode. Also, we'll have extra thoughts from Luke under our Play Director package. You can subscribe for that on our website. I am headed off to Mount Langley for the rest of the week and the weekend. I'm climbing the mountain with Summit for Someone, raising money for Big City Mountaineers. More to come on that. Stay tuned for some future podcast episodes. I'm super excited. I'm also super nervous. You'll hear all about that. As usual, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and all the other ones. Enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen. Until next time, I'm your host, Ben Shank, and you've been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.